Well, we're starting a, a new series this morning. So we finished our 70-day Bible reading challenge, which uh, I absolutely loved. And now we're going to move on to this series called Heart to Heart with Heaven. Heart to Heart with Heaven. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 15 over the next few weeks. And this morning's message is called this, You Have a Visitor, It's God. So this series is about prayer. And really, why we're doing this is because as a church, I want us to be making the most of this temporary leave of absence, this physical distancing because of COVID-19, to retool, to retrain and to refocus. My hope is that when we re- reconvene, when we come back together, we will be more spirit-filled, more Christ-focused and more God-glorifying. And so step by step, as we draw all closer to God, we will be learning how to abide in him, how to remain in him. When a caterpillar emerges from a chrysalis, its hope is not that life will carry on as usual, right? If the isolation of that chrysalis, of the time spent alone, has served its purpose, then the caterpillar will emerge changed. It will now be able to fly. What if God is teaching you something uniquely through this time so that afterwards you will be able to fly? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40 verse 31. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to be retooling, retraining and refocusing ourselves by taking a long, hard look at prayer. And not just looking at prayer, but also putting it into practice. And our key text will be Jesus' own Coles note summary of prayer that we find in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5 onwards. Now, in our text this morning, Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, and if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me there. Um, But in our text in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, it is assumed that we pray. What does it say in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6? It says, and when you pray... So prayer is expected. But what is prayer? Because we all have our own ideas, whether it's through our history, through our nurture, through, through how we were raised, through um, how we've interacted with scripture ourselves, through you know, uh, what we've learned through our mentors or our own experience. We all have our ideas of prayer. Well, Psalm 130 verse 5 says this, I wait for the Lord... My whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. So in this passage, prayer means patiently waiting on God by reading his word and praying it back to him. Psalm 131 verse 2 says this, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So prayer is the learned posture of of being a child in the arms of its mother, or in our case, in the arms of our father. Prayer is resting. Now, we all know that prayer is talking. It's, It's a way that 
We communicate. We all know that. But it's, it's something else. It's something more than just us talking to each other. You see, I don't pray to my dog. I don't pray to my daughters. I don't pray to my wife. I talk to them, but I don't pray to them. So prayer has this extra element of the lesser talking to the greater, of the mortal, like us, communicating with the holy. Prayer is knowing that you can only get your deepest needs met by someone outside of yourself. Friends, prayer is hunger. That phrase in Psalm 130 is so powerful. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Prayer is the recognition that there is someone beyond yourself who is uniquely worth communicating with. Prayer is the living out of the knowledge that there is more in this universe than than can be explained or experienced by the five senses. Prayer happens when we humbly acknowledge how short and how limited our lives are and yet realising that we can somehow extend our reach and our influence by connecting with the infinite personal God. Prayer is learning how to place yourself in this world in relation to your creator. Prayer is both the humbling of yourself and the lifting up of yourself. Now, prayer humbles you by exposing you to God himself. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, it's, and in, in light of this prayer-inspired vision of God, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6 verse 5, says this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so prayer, at its very basis, is a humbling experience. And yet prayer also lifts you up by revealing that God himself, this God of Isaiah chapter 6 verse, verse, verse 5, that this God would like nothing more than to spend time with ordinary sinful little you. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, Isaiah 57 verse 15. And so we're, we're hopefully starting to see that prayer is an incredible gift. And yet we're sometimes afraid of unwrapping this, this gift in the wrong way, right? Prayer sometimes makes us nervous. And maybe it's because prayer isn't a scientific formula or a maths equation. Uh, that prayer is somehow a little bit vague around the edges. There's mystery to it. And mystery can lead us into fear And if we're afraid of getting prayer wrong, then it's easy to retreat into silence. And and our passage here, here today shows us one way that we can get prayer wrong and one way that we can get it beautifully, amazingly, graciously right. can get prayer wrong is simply this by praying to the wrong wrong audience verse 5 and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites 
for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and uh, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Yeah, the problem with the hypocrites in verse 5 was that they missed the whole point of prayer. They thought that prayer was, was talking to, to other people. They acted or pretended like they were talking to God while they were really talking to their peers. I hate it when I see people do that. When they act like they're talking to this person in private, but they're pitching their voices just loudly enough so that you can hear what they're saying. Maybe to impress you, maybe to make a point, maybe to hurt you. It's like, you know, when I was younger and we were trying to get, I was trying to get my brother or sister into trouble, right? I raised my voice and explained to them that what they were doing has hurt me. That you've offended me, hoping that mum and dad might be listening upstairs. And we can do this in prayer. Just like that Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 verse 11. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, like the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers, or even like over here, Lord, this little tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all that I have. This man was in air quotes praying to God. But he was pitching his voice to be heard by others. He was counting on the fact that his prayer could be heard by the tax collector. Why? Because the obvious sin of the tax collector made the Pharisee feel better about his secret sins. He propped up his ego on the back of this poor little tax collector. This Pharisee missed the point of prayer. In that place at that moment in time, there was a lot of talking going on, but not a lot of praying. There was a lot of saying, but not a lot of praying. Friends, prayer should humble us in God's presence, making us grateful for his grace. It shouldn't be an exercise to stroke our fragile egos. When our prayers are not intended for God's ears, he simply doesn't hear them. And so we need to ask ourselves, what's our motivation in prayer? When we respond to our friend's sad news on Facebook with the hands together emoji or praying or thoughts and prayers, then we need to make sure that we're following up with actual prayer. Because if we don't, then what we're saying is that I value you thinking that I'm a praying person more than I value prayer itself. Or to put it another way, you act like you're praying, but you're pitching your voice just loud enough so that others are able to hear you, making a show of it, maybe being a little bit of a hypocrite. Now, this shouldn't stop you from praying. We should never rep replace hypocrisy with nothing. We should re replace hypocrisy with actually doing the thing that we said we were going to do. And so I don't think that the answer to bad prayers or fake prayers is no prayer. 
The, the opposite of fake prayers, a sincere prayers, the opposite of bad prayers, a good prayers. Now, shifting gears slightly, as a pastor, I encounter many people who are well-meaning, who have the right intentions and the right heart, and they love Jesus so much, but they're afraid of praying wrong. And so they think that the a way to avoid the, uh, the danger of praying incorrectly is to not pray at all. If you can't pray nothing good, then don't pray nothing at all, right? Wrong. Listen, the person who never prays is just as much a slave to people's opinion as the person who loves praying empty, fancy-worded prayers. I was raised as a teenager in a church that valued faith-filled feeling-filled prayers, prayers that, that, prayers that quoted hymns, prayers that quoted scripture. We would have time set aside in our morning services for us as a community to pray. And when our church got praying in Wales, you felt like heaven was being moved, that revival was right around the corner. And I loved it. I was excited. I wanted to pray. I felt the need to pray rise up within me. Um, until it was almost unbearable. I longed to join my voice with the saints around me, saying to God how much I love him. The only thing was that I had a stutter. And there are certain circumstances for a stutterer that make it more likely that you will stutter. One of those is, haha, preaching. And um, another, ha ha ha, is preaching to a camera, um, where you have no idea who's on the other end. Um, and another is talking about stuttering whilst speaking to a camera, whilst preaching, having no idea who's on the other end. And for me as a teenager, praying in public 99% of the time meant I had to face my stutter and the fear linked with it. It was a battle every single time. And many times I would allow this fear of poorly worded prayers stop me from actually praying. But then on those rare moments when, I, when my love for God overcame my fear of looking foolish and I prayed out loud among my, my sisters and my brothers, I felt like I touched heaven. Friends, don't let the fear of praying wrong stop you praying either in public or in the quiet of your own house. Let the silence of your home instead be filled with the sound of relationship as you talk with God about your day, as you pray scriptures back to him, as you thank him for who he is, as you cry to him in loneliness, as you shout for joy, as you sing worship songs. Because as you fill the spaces of your home with prayer, you are filling the spaces of your home with God's presence itself. Amen. And this takes us through to verse 6. Verse 6 of Matthew 6. It says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We read in the Gospels over and over again that Jesus went into the wilderness. He didn't have his own home, right? He had nowhere to lay his head. And so we assume that he, you know, he probably didn't have his own room. And so he did whatever it took to find his own room and to close the door and to pray to his father. 
Now, these words in this passage, you know, there's this word secret and there's this word unseen. Well, in, in verse 6, these words in Greek are both the same. And it's the word where we get our word cryptic from. It's like the twins in a series of unfortunate events who are trying to solve clues and the clues have to be solved in the right order. They are cryptic clues. And, and God is saying here in Matthew 6 verse 6 that there are steps that we need to take in order to truly encounter him in prayer. They are hidden. They are secret. Not in the sense that they're complicated and only the truly spiritual will find them. Not at all. In fact, though they, they are cryptic, they are super simple. They are easy enough for a child, for a senior, for an overworked mum, for a hectic dad and for a stressed teen. They're easy. But there is a way for us to pray. There is a, a, a way for us to enter the secret place of God. So listen up. And you will hear what these cryptic steps are to meet with God himself. You ready? Number one, go into your room. Number two, close the door. And number three, pray to your father. This, this verse shows us that what happens out there affects us in here, in our heart. We, we, we are the product of our environment. We reflect what we receive. And God wants to change our in here's so that we can affect our world out there. But it starts in here. And so friends, if we're constantly living our lives in public spaces, either physically or on social media, then our souls get starved and shriveled. Our souls get hungry. And so we need to go into our room and close the door. We need to make a barrier where the outside world is blocked off and God has our full attention. Going into our room is a choice. And we make this choice as we turn our phones to silent as we move out of the slipstream, as we move out of the fast lane, out of the rat race, out of the list of things that have to be done, even just for a moment. Friends, you have a visitor. It's God. Robert Frost famously said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Friends, going into your room and closing your door and praying to your father is the road less travelled by and taking it makes all the difference. Next week we will look at what takes place in your room with the door closed. But for now, where you are as you're thinking about your house, I want you to, to, to choose for you to identify where your room is. This place where you can meet regularly with God. Most likely it's a room in your house. It's a place that you can shut your door. Write it down. Also work out when this room will be your room because perhaps it's not your room, you know, you know, for the 
the whole day, maybe, f maybe for the rest of the day, it's a bedroom or a dining room or a closet or a deck or a nook. But for, that small, but for that moment, it's your room with a door that closes. Maybe you need to have a conversation as a family and you need to explain that for this hour or for this half hour, this, this room is a sacred place and that you need your family's help in being left alone. Friends, the more hectic your schedule is, the more you need to practice the spiritual habit of going into your room and closing the door and praying to your father. I mentioned in a sermon earlier this, this year that sometimes closing that door means putting in um, or, or putting on some noise-canceling headphones and listening to worship music or the sound of an ocean on an app while you pray. Maybe when you have your headphones on and your eyes closed, that signals to your family that you are in your room and your door is closed. Susanna Wesley had 19 kids, 10 who, who survived past infancy. And in the middle of this household of noise and fights and washing and food preparation and teaching and needs, Susanna learnt the habit of going into her room and closing the door and praying to God. And what did her door look like? What did her room look like? Well, for her, it was an apron that she pulled over her head like a tent. The only space that she could find was to sit in the middle of that kitchen with the apron over her head. And in that tiny tent, she met with God himself. And the kids knew that when the apron was over her head, that she was not to be interrupted. And this apron was the launch pad of her incredible ministry of raising 10 kids, two of whom changed the world through preaching the word and writing hymns. It's on Susanna Wesley's shoulders that Cornerstone Wesleyan Church stands. So what does your room look like? Where is it? When is it? Nathan and I met for our weekly meeting on Tuesday morning at 7.30 via Zoom. I love this meeting. Nathan does too, I think. And, and because we both value it, we entered a room and we closed the door and we communicated. And so speaking spiritually in my calendar, my room to meet with God is our dining room table from 6.30 in the morning to 7.15. I'm sat there as the sun rises with my Bible and my journal and my Kindle. Friends, it's so important to establish that room, whether it's an actual room or an apron or a dining room with headphones on. This is a room where the business of meeting with God takes place. And he's waiting there for the pleasure of your company. It makes me sad when I think how many times I've stood up my father by simply being too active or too overloaded to be with him. And then I, I have the goal to complain that I don't feel him anymore. But why don't I feel him anymore? Because I wasn't where he said he would be. I stood him up. Matthew 6 verse 6 is clear that God is in that room waiting for you. 
Matthew 6 verse 5 tells us of these these hypocrites who lived their lives for human praise and they received it in full, Jesus said. But for the one who goes into their room and closes the door and prays to their father, Jesus gives these words of affirmation, these words of hope, this, this wonderful promise. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what reward are you living for, my friend? Is it the fleeting reward of your peers as they like your social media post? Or is it the eternal reward of your father? When I read verse 5, it seems that the reward of our fellow humans seems like it's a a one-time deal. It says that they have received their reward in full, at that moment in full. But for the one who continues to meet with God in the door, in the room with the door closed, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that reward is inexhaustible. It's infinite. It's unlimited. It's endless. You have a visitor. It's, it's God. And each time you meet with God, reading his word and praying to him you see a different facet of his character you learn a new truth you you encounter him in a fresh way and it never ever gets old friends you get what you seek and in the end you are what you seek so let me end with psalm 37 verse 4 which says this Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning.